Hello, beautiful. You are listening to episode 101, The Cancer of Misinformation, with Udi and Felicity on the Africana Woman podcast. Chulu is my name. I am a writer, personal brand consultant, entrepreneur, and mentor. Africana Woman's mission is to help you heal your heart, mind, and soul through the power of stories, so as you can live healthy and wealthy lives. If this is your first time listening to Africana Woman, welcome, sis. But more importantly, apart from this episode, you have over 100 stories to dive into. So go back. Take a listen, be inspired, and learn from the sisterhood. To you that listens every week, thank you, my darling. I appreciate you. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. The Zambian Cancer Society have an awareness campaign running through this month called Dukutober. It never occurred to me how much misinformation there was about cancer until I sat down with our guests today. Before we jump into the conversation, here are just a couple of announcements. Firstly, the dates for our next retreat in Zambia are set. We are going to Bubezi River Lodge from the 1st to the 4th of June, 2023. It is a women's only wellness retreat with limited numbers, so you definitely want to register as soon as possible. We also have payment plans available. Essentially, we're going to be glamping, guys, because, you know, I don't rough it. (laughs) So we are going to be glamping in the lower Zambezi whilst you will be taken through our signature program called Know Your Roots, Grow Your Purpose. To find out more and register, visit www.africanawoman.com. The second announcement. I have been trying to decide which program to do this December 2022. I would love your feedback on this. So I am debating between Good Morning Beautiful or audit your business. Please let me know which one you prefer. Good morning, beautiful, or audit your business. Um, let me know via socials or email, africanawoman at gmail.com, and I will appreciate your feedback. Okay, let us get into it. This is a fireside chat about the cancer of misinformation. Okay, guys. So I was scrolling through uh, Facebook, I believe, and then I saw this absolutely beautiful, beautiful campaign. And you guys, you know me, how much I love my dukus. Please, I beg. It was, it was such, it's such a beautiful campaign. So I clicked and you start going through, you're seeing people in these beautiful headscarves and you're seeing like guys supporting. And I was like, what? Anyway, so when I did look at the information even further, what I discovered, it is the beautiful, beautiful baby brainchild of the Zambian Cancer Society, and it is Duku. Do, am I saying it right? Duku Toba or Duku October? Duku Toba. Duku Toba. Duku Toba. There we go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is a campaign to raise awareness about cancer. And I thought, you know, I need to have a conversation with the Cancer <laughs> Society. And I did reach out because I think this is something that 
we know it's there. You know, we see a few people, we hear about a few people that have cancer. But, you know, I think it's something that we don't necessarily talk about really openly in our in our homes, our mm-hmm. African cultures. So I decided that, you know what, it'll be great to have a conversation and get more information, get more awareness um, around cancer. So welcome. Today is another fireside chat. So it's going to be a conversation and I would love, love, love for you to welcome to the Africana Woman mic. Please welcome Udi Soko and Felicity Mwila. Thank you so much for joining me and welcome. Thank, Thank you, you for very having much. us, Africana Woman. It's good to be here. <laughs> very excited. How's your day been? How's it started? My day started on a serious note in the sense that I dedicated today, I've dedicated today to doing my admin work. Mm. Wow, I've fallen so much behind and I've said, no, 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 nothing's going to distract me. I said, let me concentrate on doing admin and uh, get that out of the way. And yeah, so, so far, so good. Great. And you, Felicity? Well, the Lord says his ways are far above my ways. My my day didn't start off the way I had hoped. I had uh, to take my daughter to the hospital, mm. but here I am. So I, I didn't get to cover what I was supposed to have covered this morning, hoping that after this interview, I can now do my admin work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. And I'm sh- I'm hoping all goes well. So... Let's start. I'd like to start with these questions before we get into the meat of the conversation. I would love to hear from you, Udi, and then afterwards, Felicity. What is your favorite childhood memory? Nothing immediately comes to mind. Let me think a little bit. I think one of the things that I liked about when I was growing up was Christmas Mm. because we would um, buy presents for each other. I am, well, at that time, I was the one of five children and would spend time going to the shops or back in the day. Felicity, maybe you remember ZCBC, Mwaisen. Yes, and (laughs) Mwaisen. Yeah, we buy gifts for each other, and I could not wait for Christmas Day to open my presents. I think I, I love that very, very much. Yeah, Aww. and and the EAP song. <laughs> What's up? I can't remember that song. Is it the one where tell your mother? Oh, oh <laughs> yes, oh, exactly, exactly. Yes, oh, that's the EAP song, of course. Of course, for EAP, EAP. Okay. Felicity, what's your favorite memory? Well, my favorite memory is uh, when our parents would take us to go and visit our other sisters, our other, you know, cousins, as some of you would call it now. I I really miss that. And um, it is something I think my own children have not done. And I really regret for not having done that because... It's in our time we got to know our relatives, and as I've grown up, I've seen the importance of family, 
And I think that's something that should be reignited. I think it's something that um, has been expressed quite often on this particular podcast as well, how, you know, there's just been this, I guess, migration to really concentrating on the nuclear family. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, whether we will go back that way. Now, today we are talking about the Doctober um, campaign. So maybe, Udi, you can explain what the campaign is and what your goals are. Right. A little backstory about how Dukutoba came to be. In 2020, we recreated or reinvented. No, we didn't reinvent. We created a new word called Dukutoba. Duku meaning head wrap and October for October. Put them together, Dukutoba. So how did that come to be? Well, in 2020, when the had the throes of COVID-19. A lot of things came to an abrupt halt. Stay home, stay safe, sanitize, mask up, remember what the mantra was. So here we are as an organization, staying home, staying safe and wondering what to do next with regard to Breast Cancer Awareness Month, which was coming anyway. October was going to come and it always comes. <sighs> we thought about what we could do, what campaign we could do, which, you know, was... I'm going to abide with the COVID-19 regulations. And then we remembered an idea we had, we had thought about, I think, three years ago. It had never seen the light of day. And we said, right, let's go back to that idea of the Duku challenge. Okay. Now, the idea about the Duku challenge is during the month of October, which we have renamed to Dukutoba. Yeah. So Dukutoba is like October now. Right. So we said during the month of Dukutoba, let's introduce the Duku challenge. And the idea behind that challenge is to encourage participants, people out there to wrap their heads in a Duku, any type, any style, any color, and take a picture of their beautiful selves and post it on, on social media. Primarily it was Facebook. Remember that time social media was really, you know, I really gained so much momentum. And the reason is, this was a way of standing in solidarity with many breast cancer patients who lose their hair during cancer treatment. And um, we thought this would be an interesting way of raising awareness, and it was free to participate and engage with the public and also to commemorate Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So that's how the whole idea started. And, you know, we are familiar with, familiar with head wraps or dukus. We wear them for different occasions, whether it's religious or cultural, fashion, divas. And we thought, hmm, people can identify with the duku, but let's put a spin and say, wear this, um, this head wrap is to stand in solidarity with breast cancer patients. And hence, we launched the duku challenge and it has, gain momentum since 2020, I must say. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. I remember seeing it the first time, I think, I believe Chola Lungu sent it to me as a challenge, like, (laughs) you know, wear your duke and take a picture. So I do remember um, back then. Now, tell us, or take us even further back. 
how did um, Zambian Cancer Society um, come about and why do you have that passion for it? That's an interesting question, fraught with a lot of painful memories, I must say. My story began in 1989 when I was 23. I just finished university and I had started work. And during my last at university, I actually noticed a lump on the right side of my neck. And my friends and I used to laugh at, I laugh and call it a goit on the side because it was painless. But uh, fast forward, eventually it was discovered that I had cancer of the lymph nodes. That is 1989. And at that time, there was no cancer hospital in Zambia. And the outlook for cancer patients, for the majority of us, was very bleak. In my view, in my knowingness, through divine intervention, I worked for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And I was posted to Germany. I was sent to Germany. (laughs) We use the word posted, not like I'm a letter or anything. But I was sent to Germany to work at our mission there and also to receive treatment, which I did for a year. The following year, I was declared cancer-free. And I spent about 11, 12 years in the diplomatic service. I came back to Zambia in, 20, in 2000, actually. And I noticed that the same outlook still prevailed as I had left it 11 years ago. It was bleak. It was dreary. There was a lot of stigma and shame associated with the disease. And the, and the outcomes for many cancer survivors were still not good. So I decided to take it upon myself to make a difference. But it was birthed out of pain and frustration, right? I just felt something needs to be done. But And I prayed about this. And I said, God, show me a sign if you want me to do this. And... That sign did come to me in the, in the form of a article in the newspaper, the Daily Mail. I can actually say that two, three days later, cancer patients need your help. Go to page four or five. Or something, you know? And I, I went to that page, not immediately. You know, it is look at the first page, one page, two, you're just thinking, oh, 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 do, 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 do. <laughs> and then I went to that page. I heard about a certain cancer organization. It's no longer in existence now, but it was being headed by the late Professor Chintu, who was my doctor before I left all those 11 years ago. So I went to that, to him, told him about that I was back in Zambia, I was interested in supporting the cause, and he said, all right. So that's how I started my my journey in terms of being an advocate. And then in 2009, I decided that it was time to move on because this particular cancer organization focused only on children. I felt a, a, a bigger calling to support cancer patients irrespective of age, gender, or type of cancer. Hence, the Zambian Cancer Society was born. So for me, it is a, a divine assignment. That is where I get my strength from, knowing that God is, is leading me on this path. I'd love to hear from Felicity in terms of what has your um, journey been um, with cancer? My journey with cancer began last year in March. On the 10th of March, I was diagnosed with uh, left breast cancer. And uh, prior to my diagnosis, I um, 
had uh, what is called fibrils in the breast like 26 years prior to that. So when I discovered the lump in my left breast, it was actually even the left breast again. Uh, last year, I thought the fibroids were back and I didn't, um, I didn't, you know, go to the hospital on time or, or just after noticing it. I was actually dreading going to the hospital because I knew the last time I, uh, they did a lumpectomy, which was the removal of the lumps. And I didn't, I, the theater was a place I didn't want to go to. So this was discovered like in January, but what led to the discovery of these lumps was that in, I used to feel some pain, especially before my menses, you know, before the menses, our breasts as women tend to be tender and so on. So in one of those moments when I'm doing that abrupt breast self-examination, which I was not consistent in doing previously, I used to do it once in a while when I remember to say, oh, I once had lumps. Let me check my breasts. So I was doing that impromptu breast self-examination in January one morning. And then I felt that I had this lump, which I normally do, do not feel. And when I concentrated on it, I felt there was some pain in it. So that's January. Then February, I went to the hospital that day. That lamp, especially after noticing that I had the lamp, that's when I would constantly feel the pain. So that morning in February, I was actually in pain. And I went to the hospital to go and do a totally different thing. Then having myself checked was a by-the-way thing. I explained to my doctor how I was feeling. And he says, Madam, when you are at your age, you, um, you don't find a lamp in your breast and you stay at home. So he sent me to the, to the lab and asked for a mammography to be done. Apparently that day, I was at Forest Park that day, and the, that day the machine was not working. So I was even about to step into my car to drive off, and I meet the doctor, and he says, where's the result? So I say, no, the machine is not working. So I'll come another day when I'm cold. Then he says, madam, there are many ways of checking. That is how come I went back and they did check and confirm there was a mass in my left breast using what they call an ultrasound scan. So after that scan was done, I was then referred to the oncologist in the hospital who then um, requested for a biopsy to be done. I was quick to act on it. Of course, having had the history of the fibroids, I was very certain that it's just the fibroids that are back. And cancer for me was a no-no. I said, no, I think that is not my portion. I did the biopsy in February. The results came out on the 10th of March, and I was told, Madam, we have confirmed that you have breast cancer. That diagnosis, of course, threw me off my seat. It is not something that I, I really expected. Of course, in between biopsy and uh, the time I was getting my result, I would question myself to say, supposing I'm told it's cancer, but of course, me being human and not wanting to hear the word cancer, because in most cases, when you are told you have cancer, you really think it's a death sentence. 
And that is why in this year's theme, we are saying we are trying to dispel the myths and share the facts. So there's a lot of information that is required out there. It's amazing to, you know, to know how much we really don't know because we, we, we don't have access to the true information. And uh, that is how my cancer journey started. And uh, in my involvement um, in trying to learn more about what is happening and just try to spread the word out there, I thought to myself, it is always good to, you know, connect yourself to people who are already doing something about it because when you're doing things together with other people, I think the impact is greater as opposed to doing it on your own. And that's how I met our lovely lady, Madame Yudi Sokol. <laughs> and I'm now volunteering with the Zambian Cancer Society. Prior to um, getting your results, was there any form of um, counseling? No, not before I got my results. But the day I did get my results, the doctor that um, told me about my diagnosis did a good job of counseling. And I think it was easier for me to accept. He did a very good job about talking to me about uh, the results they found because he was actually telling me, you are very fortunate, yours is a good cancer. And I was in my heart, I was like, is there anything good about cancer? But it was a good cancer in, with, in the fact that it was detected early. And this is now why we are saying it is very important for people to be very aware of their, of, of, you know, know the anatomy of your breasts. Because once you know that there's something wrong with your breasts, you can quickly go to the hospital and you'll be treated because in early detection, that's where lives are being saved. What normally takes people away is when there's a late detection and you find the doctors are telling you that there's nothing much we have done, we can do for you because the cancer has spread. But that can change if you check your breasts regularly, have, you know, in the same, I keep telling people these days to say the same way you do health checkups for other things, the way we or the way we care about our skin, especially as ladies, we really do care about our skin on the face. It's the same way that we should take care of our breasts because breast health is very, very important. Mm. So um, um, I mean, we did talk before and, you know, you have a family. What was it like to to break the news to your family? Of course, um, the day I was being given my diagnosis, I went to the hospital with my husband and my two girls were in the car. Of course, it was not, um, it was not a happy moment, <laughs> especially that if you recall, I did mention that in February when I went to the hospital, I went there for a different uh, agenda altogether. We had a nephew in the family who had renal failure. 
And my reason going to the hospital that day was for the doctor to give us a letter to take to the Indian High Commission to arrange for visas for them to travel. And my husband was part of that encouraged to go and be the caregiver to this nephew who was going to do a kidney transplant. So it, I think it kind of just turned the tables on us. There was the patient of now that I have been diagnosed with cancer. What do we do? Who do we cancel? At that time, the tickets had already been bought. I just told my husband to say this. I think um, God planned this for it to be this way. I'm going to remain with other members of the family. I have my mother, my father, my siblings, and the children around. They are going to support me on this journey because the task that we have prepared is also equally important for you. So please go ahead, go to India, and we'll see how we're going to manage this from this end. And uh, him going there for me actually was a plus in that we copied the biopsy report and we did some consultation with doctors in India on uh, how best to treat my case. And we found that whatever it is that was going to have been done in India is the same protocol that the doctors here had advised so we had the opportunity of getting another opinion. Yeah. So I was, it even gave me reassurance that whatever it is, is the doctors here in Zambia are doing is what the doctors in India would have done. So we then proceeded with me being treated back home. Earlier, you, Udi had mentioned that, um, that there's stigmas. What are typical stigmas that people have? I think both of you could answer, I guess, that people have around cancer. One of the myths out there is that cancer is contagious. So, yes. And so that is, I mean, you can imagine you think you can give this cancer to somebody else when in fact you can't. It's a non-communicable diseases. But because of this misconception, People shun you. And in, in, in response, you isolate yourself, which is not good for anybody at the best of times. And other stigma is it affects you physically in many ways. For example, when I had my breast cancer, cancer of the lymph nodes, they removed my spleen. It's, it's you know, an organ inside the body and they removed it. It helps fight infection and so on. But it was internal. Yes, I've got a very long scar, but you know, my belly. But who really sees that scar? So you know, I, I didn't it didn't bother me that much. And I mean, I, you don't see one's internal organs, you know, anyway. So yeah, I don't have a spin. I don't have a spin. Never bothered me as much. Never bothered me much actually until I was told I had breast cancer, and I was told they would have to remove it completely. Now the stigma starts with oneself, right? You look and you know your, your body will never be the same. So you have to start. They have to remove it. Are you saying they're doing? They're removing the cancer or they're removing the breast? They're removing the whole breast. Yes. So now it's wow. What next? I mean, not everybody has the opportunity to have breast reconstruction surgery. I started the process. I left it halfway. So my breast hasn't, isn't fully reconstructed. So you've now got one boob and 
you have to uh, you know put something if you want not everybody does but in my case I've got a artificial breast and that's a challenge in itself and it's uncomfortable it's uncomfortable not the, the, the artificial breast but just the knowing that this is your new body and yeah you can embrace it as much as you can but it also restricts you in terms of wearing certain clothes because <laughs> you know you got a very deep plunging v-neck for example so you get keep getting reminded that things are no longer the same i've had situations where some of our volunteers or people that i meet in my interactions saying that what do i do now with my life right for example there's a young lady she was diagnosed when she was 24 25 and she said when she got the diagnosis she stopped praying she stopped going to church she stopped reading the bible she just isolated herself and she was at home she felt so ashamed and she said look i am single i am young where do i even start the conversation after i'm treated with a potential partner at what point in the conversation is it when we as we are starting to date when we get serious so all these factors um can weigh heavily on 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 one and not only that we know of numerous numerous stories and i'm sure felicity can bear me witness whereby being diagnosed with breast cancer in particular and i mean other cancers but i'm talking about breast cancer has led to marriages relationships breaking down where a husband tells his wife you choose either removing your breast or marriage and yes and some some women have waited for as long as they could in the marriage and resenting very very late or you know deciding to to finally get the breast removed or treatment very very late others as soon as they know they've said look there's no <laughs> decision i mean yes the decision will be made but it's not a, it's a no brainer it is my health first and foremost and yeah so those are some some of the the challenges that patients go through i'm trying to wrap my brain around that either your breast or the marriage like how does that even make sense i can't wow wow uh felicity what do you have any other examples yeah just to add on that's that's the 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 fact the fact is that some of our friends have had to have their marriages ended because their husband left them because they don't have one boo and this is the message that i'm trying to put across to people now because i've interacted with people i went to my my surgery was done at um, matero level 1 hospital and in that queue when you're trying to see the doctor i met different types of people with different types of stories and you'd hear of how a husband would tell the the, the wife to say if you don't have breasts then you're not woman enough so really that is wrong that is wrong 
And I remember coming across a post on Facebook one day of a girl who had a double mastectomy, which is the removal of both her breasts. She posted to say, I am a survivor. I'm still living, though I don't have my two breasts. And some man goes to comment to say, you are not marriage material. So I don't know where the men think that having uh, your breasts is what makes you to have to be marriage material. I really don't know because a, a woman who's had breast cancer, like the young girl that uh, you mentioned, can still go ahead and get married after her treatment, depending on the type of cancer that she's got. She can still have children. We have situations where we have children who've never suckled from their mothers because their mothers were HIV positive. They've grown. So why should me not having a breast be affect my, my position to have a child? So having one less breast or not having both breasts at all does not make me less of a woman. I am still beautiful. I can still have children. I can, for as long as I'm alive, I'm able to live my life normally. And um, it is one of the reasons also why people present late because you get to hear of all these stories. You start thinking, my husband will leave me. My, my family will not accept me. So you are hesitant to go to the hospital to have your breasts checked. So I think we need to talk about this openly as we dispel the myths and share the facts and uh, just make people aware that you don't become different after a mastectomy. I mean, just listening to your stories, you know, we started with Udi was talking about back in like 1989, you know, there was no cancer facility to present day where you're saying that, um, Felicity, you're saying that um, when you did a comparison of what the doctors in Zambia had recommended, the, you know, the doctors in India were recommending the same thing. So my question is, what is the, the status of um, cancer facilities? Um, this is uh, within Zambia, of course. And, you know, where do people get access to, um, to treatment or to, to be diagnosed? Is this um, something that's more spread out even in the country or is it even just centered in, in Lusaka? Right, okay, I'll start the ball rolling. One of the things I often say to colleagues, especially those who are not Zambians, what the ones I meet when I attend conferences and meetings and workshops abroad, I often say that one of the best things that the government of the day, back in the day, did was to set up the Cancer Diseases Hospital. Because without that hospital, I don't know how many Zambians would still be alive today. Why do I say that? Cancer treatment, one, is very expensive. Two, it is long, it's, it's long-term. You can be treated for a year, two years, three years, five years, depending on the type of cancer. 
that you have. And three, once you're diagnosed, you're under what they like to say, constant surveillance. So ever so often, whether it's yearly or every two years or whatever the case is, you go for a checkup, you go for review. Now you can imagine if we did not have a cancer hospital, where would we be? And when I was diagnosed with cancer in 1989, yes, we did not have a cancer hospital. And even to stage me, we did not have MRI, the, the machines that they use, CT scan, to diagnose me, to stage me. So I went to Zimbabwe. That's where I was staged. I was staged with cancer of the lymph nodes, stage 2B. I came back. In terms of cancer treatment, um, the drugs, they were in short supply and they were not, they had, they were at the brink of expiring. Let me put it that way. What to do? I thought, okay, let me try and go abroad, not through my employer, but writing to the Ministry of Health and asking to be put on that list of potential uh, patients or patients who can go abroad, you know, be sponsored by the government of Zambia. That didn't work out. And meanwhile, my talk, the clock is ticking because the cancer is advancing. As I had said earlier, I was blessed to work for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and I, I, I was treated in, in, in Germany. Coming back now to 2006, the Cancer Diseases Hospital was officially opened or started operating. Maybe the, or started, it was launched in 2007, but in 2006, their doors opened. Initially, just as a radiation center, or, you know, not dealing with inpatients. There were no wards, but the, the number one thing was to increase access to treatment locally because there was literally nothing. And that was phase one, offering the much needed services. But then they need, they, you know, as, you know, the, the, the cancer cases increased more and more, they realized, right, having our patients admitted at UTH and other places is fine. It's rather taxing to manage effectively. Let's build the wards. So hence, they have, I think it's 264 bed spaces for cancer patients yeah, at the ward. So that's all that is, is great. Now, we have to start somewhere. And yes, they started in Osaka. And it is what it is, but at least we have that facility. Getting to Osaka, I know, is a challenge for so many people, but at least there is somewhere to go to rather than you have to go abroad. And as the years have come and gone, government has talked about wanting to set up other cancer centers in other cities. Well, they have identified Indola, I believe it is, and Livingston. So I, 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 I know that they are making efforts behind the scenes to, to start to build the land has been identified or start to build. So in this case, you know, decentralizing services from Lusaka to the other, other cities. But one must also realize it's not just simply, just, it's not just simply building the hospital. You have to train the man, manpower, right? You have to ensure that you've got the, the machines, you've got the medicine 
and these cancer machines are very expensive. The medicines are very expensive. So there's a whole load of things which have to be put in place before the center is ready to open, ready to be open for business. But we are thankful that there are steps, real steps now that are being taken so that we don't always have to be coming to Lusaka, that they can be looking after patients in these other cities. Do you have anything to add, Felicity? Sure. We we do appreciate the strides that uh, the government is making. But um, in my view, I was thinking that they could just extend it to maybe, um, you know, the district hospitals in the provincial uh, capitals to avoid um, the traveling of patients from far-flung areas to Lusaka to get treatment. I'll give an example. When I was doing my chemotherapy, I encountered a family where their mother had breast cancer and she was coming from Luingu. And she was told that Every three weeks, you should be coming from Luingu to Lusaka to come and get in chemotherapy. A journey she could have had avoided if maybe they had a chemo center in Kasama, for example, it being the, 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 the provincial capital of the northern province. So I would be very happy to see that at least there is a chemo center in all the provincial headquarters that would, you know, it will reduce the cost of uh, transportation of patients from far-flung areas to come to the Cancer Diseases Hospital. If they could uh, expedite that, that would be a very good thing. I do know that the treatment machines do cost a lot of money, but... um, I think decentralization decentralization of um, chemotherapy should be done in you know in the in the soonest possible time, and then uh, maybe if you are going to come and do radiation because I know having a radiation machine up and running is a cost a very huge cost. Maybe that's where that's when somebody can come to the cancer disease hospital. Um, one time I remember going for chemotherapy and this person has traveled all the way from Petauke. They had missed some sessions and they were told you have to start all over again. And they come, they are here, and then they are told um, your drug actually is not available. You need to go and buy that drug. And her bill was 5,000 kwacha. And the reason she actually had not come the past few months for treatment was because she did not have transport money. So, I mean, if they had a chemo center in Eastern province, should have been maybe been able to continue with treatment. So I think one of the things that I remember as a child um hearing or just being told is like oh cancer is for white people um you know it's like a white disease and 
I know that you are not, you know, you're not um, doctors or, you know, um, medical practitioners, but I'm curious whether, is it that people were not being diagnosed and, or because now we have more of the, um, the equipment and I guess more doctors that, you know, were able to diagnose the different types of cancers and be able to identify that the numbers are increasing. Yeah, um, I think it's a combination. Historically, we did not have much cancer recorded. Could be a combination of not diagnosing, but I think generally research has shown up until you know now or recently that the majority of cancer cases are found in you know more developed countries. But on the flip side. And what research is showing, the trends are showing that increasingly more and more cancers are being diagnosed in less developed countries and being diagnosed at a later stage. And so what that means is that whilst in more developed countries, they still have high numbers, much higher than ours, they are caught early and they are treated. So even their survival outcomes are very, very high. With us, currently, you know, we have less cancer, but it's caught at an advanced stage and our survival outcomes are not as great. Um, yeah, but cancer, as I've said, has always been there, but even now, but certainly not bigger numbers as more developed countries. We are certainly in a very deep hole. I don't want to talk about like, like a lot of doom and gloom. Now we have, you know, we're waking up to say, you know, we have, and why is it like this? Um, some of these cancers can actually be prevented, like cervical cancer. You can literally prevent cancer, cervical cancer, unlike breast cancer. You can't 100% prevent it. Yes, you can reduce your risk, but cervical cancer can be 100% prevented. Through the there's a vaccine through cervical cancer screening, for example. Yeah, that was my next question. Like, <laughs> okay, there are people who are not thinking like, okay, so what can I do to you know to prevent it? Or I mean, there's so many different types of cancer, so it's kind of like you know how how do I navigate just trying to keep myself healthy and, you know, yeah. So, I mean, thank you for mentioning like the cervical cancer. I don't know if there are any other things that people can do. Yes. There are several ways one can reduce your cancer risk in general. Yeah. And these, they talk about modifiable cancer risk factors, things that you can change. Um, for example, I'll talk about things you can't change, maybe as a comparison, what you can't change, your gender. Well, I mean, all things being equal, you know, that time will change, but just in general speaking, you cannot change your gender. You cannot change the facts, uh, your, your family history. You cannot change your age, right? Children can insist that you are 16, but... Uh, to reduce your cancer risk. Number one, don't smoke. Smoking, whether it's a cigarette or whether it's shisha, it's 
very dangerous. And, vape- and it's not good. And, it's, and you were saying something? I said, and vaping, because people are like... Yes, exactly. Like, exactly. No shisha, no vaping, no, no what. Mm. Yeah. Tobacco in any form. Even in Sungo. Exactly. It's dangerous. It increases your risk for many cancers. Exercising regularly helps to decrease your, your, cancer, your risk for some cancers, including breast cancer in women who are postmenopausal. Your diet. Maintaining a healthy weight is important. Uh, breastfeeding. Breastfeeding helps to reduce your breast, your, for example, your breast cancer risk. The more you, the longer you breastfeed, the lower, you know, the, the risk is. But having said all that, that doesn't mean if you do all that and then some, that doesn't mean that you can't get, you know, a cancer, can't get cancer. But it really helps to reduce your risk. So that's what we focus on really about promoting living a healthy lifestyle. It gives you a sense of empowerment. And it's not only for cancer, it's also for other non-communicable diseases. Because if you, you know, engage in living a healthy lifestyle, you help to reduce your risk for diabetes, for high blood pressure, as well as for a heart disease. So, yeah. So that's why we promote living a healthy lifestyle. Could you talk to me a little bit about um, people's experiences with um, living with cancer and their work, their work experiences, um, you know, whether they've experienced any um, stigma from work or, you know, and how people have navigated that space. Felicity, would you like to take that? Then I can come in if need be. Okay, my personal experience is that I received a lot of support from my employers. Um, during my chemotherapy, of course, chemotherapy is, is a very aggressive treatment. And uh, for lack of a better term, it just wastes you. <laughs> but uh, I was given time on, on the moments when I was able to, I would come through to the office and be able to do my work. And uh, when it's chemo time, I'll still go and uh, do my chemo and get my treatment. So I received that support, but then I am yet to come across somebody who would would give a negative aspect on that. Um, So there's nothing much more that I can say, but... um, We react to chemo differently. And uh, there's chemotherapy itself has got various side effects. Some people do not uh, have all the side effects. For me, I think I had almost all of them. So it it really impacted on my um, on my on my work life. And I must say that even now, post chemo, I still experience post. You know, uh, some side effects don't go away right there and then. I still have challenges up to now. And especially that I have continued with treatment. I'm now on what they call hormone therapy, which also has got its own side effects. Currently, I'm on a drug called anastrozole, which depletes calcium in the body. So that has affected 
me negatively in that I experience a lot of pain um, due to low levels of calcium. My bones are paining, sometimes even my teeth, you know, teeth are, require calcium. So um, sometimes, right now, I'm going through a disintegration, disintegration of my teeth. Sometimes you're chewing, you just feel one part of your tooth has broken, you know, that kind of a thing. So those are some of the challenges that, that we do go through um, uh, during and after treatment. Yeah, but j- just to add to what Felicity has said, according to the Zambian labor laws, if you are in you know, formal employment, um, when you fall ill, and you have to be away from work, you are given three months on full pay, right? Because of your condition. And then thereafter, if you're still not well, you have another three months and you're still on the payroll and you are put on half salary. It is thereafter now the doctors must tell the employer whether you are fit to to resume work or you're no longer fit. Okay, those are the Zambian labor laws. Just giving an overview. Now, in many, well, maybe not many, but in some cases at least, whilst uh, whilst you may have that desire to continue working, the treatment itself, just the whole journey, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, just drains you and you opt to to retire because you can't just cope because there so, so, there's so much happening in, in one's life. You may be having challenges with your spouse or with your children, with your own you know, body image, financially as well, because they're out-of-pocket expenses. And it, 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 it hits you hard so many ways, such that you may just decide, no, I, I can't. I can't cope. I'll give you an example of myself when I had breast cancer because that's the most recent, right? I, I work with my brother and I was thinking to myself, oh my goodness, now we're going back to days and days and days on end where I don't know if it's morning, noon or night. I don't know my left from my right. To be honest, the, the side effects, whilst they were bad, they were 100 times better than what I went through in 1989. One, I know it's, it's a different cancer, but also I know research and treatment has advanced. Treatment has advanced so much over the past 20 plus years. However, what I noticed is I think over the first one or two, three psych- chemotherapy cycles, I had six. I was locked down, but within a couple of days, I'll be back on my feet. And when I say on my feet, I literally mean wearing my high heels. And as I was approaching my last cycle, the sixth one, and it was, I was happy that it was the last one and I went through it. It knocked me out for 10 days. I literally spent 10 days rolling from one corner of my bed to the other. 
And I remember my mother asking me, because I live with her, she's elderly now, she's 84 now. She, she used to ask me, are you in pain? Then I said, I'm not in pain. Then she said, but what is it if it's not pain? Then I said, I can't explain it. I, I'm just not feeling well. And um, so, you know, and, until such a time I, I would feel with my body, you know, you start saying, ah, okay, now the worst is over. Then you start getting out of it. Okay, fortunately, I was working for my brother and, you know, whilst I'm away, life was going on and work was going on. But you can imagine if I was working for myself. You're a trade. I know certain ladies, you know, they were doing business it, it came to an abrupt end because they were not well. And if I may add, we talk a lot about the patient. We also have caregivers who give up work to literally care for the patient. So, so employment touches us both as the patient and both as a caregiver. And if you're a caregiver, what are you going to tell your employer? I mean, after you've taken your leave days, then what? You know, they, some, some of them, and I know of many cases, they just say, look, I'm, I'm leaving work to look after my patient yeah, until he or she's better or until he or she passes, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, could you explain, because I think, you know, we hear like different terms like chemotherapy, radiation, um, but I think like many people don't really understand what that actually is, how it's actually administered. Um, if you just give it a, an explanation of what it actually entails. There are many forms of treatment. And one of them, and that's okay. One of them is surgery. We talked about having your breast removed. That is a mastectomy, for example. Then we have drugs called chemotherapy or chemo in short. They are given either in tablet form or through a drip. Then we have radiation. And radiation is, uh, these are special x-rays which have got very um, high-ish or special um, intensity, uh, ray intensity. And you go through, well, depending on the type of radiation, but quite often you go through a machine and then the rays are targeted towards the cancer site. So that's what radiation is. It's a special X-ray, a special targeted beams um, to kill the cancer cells. So when you're talking about um, like the pills, is it like one pill or is it like a concoction? Like how many? Oh yeah, it's, it's, it's a concoction. It could be a concoction. And it can also, okay, the pills can be a concoction, but even the, the chemotherapy, mm. the, the concoction as well, it's a cocktail. <laughs> That's why it's, <laughs> they call it toxic. So even the handling of chemotherapy drugs, which are called cytotoxic drugs, is very specialized. Chilu, don't just wake up and go into the chemo room and start uh, being you know, nosy because you're going to maybe start inhaling the dust or not the dust, but the, mm. the powder. The you know, just the, exactly. Mm-hmm. So you have to be on your toes and on your feet and be very careful around uh, cancer treatment, chemotherapy, whether it's chemotherapy drugs or whether it's radiation 
Because even if you go for special X for an X-ray, if you just say, "Oh, I've got pain in my chest," then go for an X-ray. You know, when you go there, they they write or oh, caution. You know, do not enter. Um, X-rays on, so we have to be very very mindful. So, the drugs are very toxic to the body, mm. and sometimes when, for example, you take a, a a tablet. Oh yeah, there's also radiation in the form of a tablet or, or liquid or so. Yes, yeah, so they inject not a tablet. I think they inject you with. <laughs> the doctors, I'm sure, say, "Whoa, this this person." They inject you with radioactive material, mm-hmm. and then you need to isolate yourself, okay? Because you may give out that radiation, and you know it's 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 harmful to the to the to the normal body. But in this case, when you're given it, it's to treat the cancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and then and just to add on yes. to one more treatment that yes. uh, you left off was the hormone treatment. Mm. This is treatment that you are given depending on the type of cancer that you have because some people have what um, is called hormonal positive cancers, which is cancer which is uh, usually triggered by the hormones in your body. My cancer, for example, was positive for estrogen. Estrogen is a hormone in the body. So my cancer was feeding on estrogen and currently I'm on hormone uh, therapy. I'm on a tablet which helps to suppress the production of estrogen in my body so that I am not exposed to getting the cancer back again. Mm, mm. When you talk about um, side effects, um, I think the one that most people think of most often is, you know, loss of hair. What else would be, would you say there is? Felicity, maybe you can share your experience. In addition, in addition to losing my hair, I uh, had a lot of nausea, a lot of vomiting. At times I would have uh, diarrhea. Sometimes I would have constipation and then um, I had a blackening of my nails. Even my skin color changed. I also became darker. And um, of course, your appetite is not good enough. Um, I also experienced uh, brain fatigue. Mm. And uh, sometimes I'll just have some confusion. I'll just, you know, at times I wouldn't even know where I'm at after chemo. So those are some of the the the, the side effects that I experienced. Of course, the list is long. The other people go through other um, other side effects, but I think those those are the ones that I can remember. Maybe Yudi, you can add on what you went through. One in particular, which I found very touching, we have one of our volunteers was a certain type of cancer. And because of the cancer treatment, he actually lost sight in one eye. Yeah, that was a side effect. So, um, yeah, but otherwise, Felicity has covered, uh, I think, quite a lot of them. And one other, which I experienced you know, I'm up to now not sure whether it was a side effect of treatment or just um, an injection going into my 
my arm that went wrong and it, it affected my my nerves. But I did experience back in the day, 1989, when I was receiving my treatment for my cancer of the lymph nodes, I developed, I, w- I, I, I think it was, I would call it some kind of semi-paralysis in my left arm. And wow, it, 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 it was something else and my nerves got damaged and okay, now my arm is much, much better. I mean, that was oh, now almost 30 years ago, but that was also a result of my cancer treatment. Whether, I, as I said, it was the needle that went the wrong way or it was the drugs it's, the, itself or themselves, I don't really know, but it was during that process. Okay. So what does the Zambian Cancer Society um, do? What services do you offer? How do you serve people? When we set up the organization, our mission was and still is to support cancer patients and their caregivers, Mm. irrespective of age, gender, or type of cancer. And yes, sometimes we hear, hi, why do you want to do everything? Not that you want to do everything, um, but why don't you just focus on a particular cancer? And that's what I thought of initially. And I said, but if I focus on Hodgkin's lymphoma, I mean, how many Hodgkin's lymphoma cases are there? Not that many. We thank God there aren't that many. So really, as I have said, and I don't say this lightly, that through divine guidance, it was to support all cancer patients, irrespective of age, gender, or type of cancer. Even the name Zambian Cancer Society did not just come like that. I had to ponder over it, seek God's face time and again. All kinds of names, I had had all kinds of names. And until this one resonated, I said, yes, this is it. So our focus is patient support primarily. How do we do this? One, practical support. One of the things we do is to help pay for local medical tests. And I emphasize local. I know sometimes we have an approach that patient needs to go abroad. We, we just have to choose what we can do. We would like to help, but really we just focus on the, the locals who, whose only option is Zambia. We also buy drugs. Yes. We also offer support as I said, practically in terms of transport money. We do that, not so often these days, but certainly we we do that. In terms of helping to equip the hospital, in terms of linen, in terms of um, weighing chairs, for example, in terms of uh, consumables, we, we do that. We also offers, offer the service of psychosocial counseling because as I had mentioned, I think what, what I think, I know once you're diagnosed with cancer, your life is never the same. And even to process what you have heard, you know, it takes time and maybe sometimes you don't even fully ever process it. And it weighs so heavily because the treatment, as I say sometimes, can appear to be worse than the disease. Because maybe you go without the lamp, you're not feeling pain, or you know it's bearable, and then you go through the meal. Hey, by the time you're done, you're <laughs> you feel like 
you are no longer yourself. It's who am I? So the psychosocial aspect of it and all that comes with it, you know, with, with dealing with the psychosocial aspect, spiritual aspect, we help in that regard. And also we create resources for cancer patients in terms of we have created breast cancer audio guides. We have, we, we produced a 13 week, 13 weeks radio drama series on breast cancer. Just coincidentally, it happens to be breast cancer. But as I said, our support is for, you know, patients with different cancers. We have an annual kids fun day where we distribute warm coats during, it's usually in May, just before the, the cold season starts and we have a fun day toys and um, you know just fun things happening these mascots like Barney and so on and yes we have a group albeit a small group of survivors and caregivers and we we uh, support each other and when people reach out to say can you come and give a talk or can you come and counsel someone we reach out amongst ourselves in our network to say who can go there who can do this and yeah, we lean on each other because we know that together, as we say, we are stronger. Uh, just to add on to that, the Zambian Cancer Society has got the Cancer Smart Youths. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. So that's a, a network of youths who, who are involved in um, giving awareness on cancer. So like you mentioned before, we the, the society looks at all types of cancer, regardless of age, regardless, regardless of color. So the youths are also involved. And I love that initiative because you start thinking about being cancer smart as a young person, and you'll be more aware by the time you're an adult um, you know, cancer tends to attack the elderly more or people who are older more than the younger ones. So if you have that information, then you're going to be ready. We all know that knowledge is power. And for me, regardless of the other type of education that I got, I realized having gone through breast cancer that I didn't have a lot of information on cancer. So starting young is actually the best way to go. So this is a question um, for both of you. (sighs) Having been through, or or I guess it's still a a journey that you're going through with cancer, what blessing do you think has come out of it? Somewhat jokingly, I would say it has made me a celebrity. I joke when ZNBC called me or Chulu says, can you be on my podcast? Why am I, why am, am I on this podcast? Because I'm a cancer survivor, you see. Um, yeah, so, you know, I like to think about that, uh, whatever celebrity means, but, you know, on a lighter note. But on the other side, really, the blessing, the blessing, it has given me an opportunity to use my creativity, which is a talent that I have. I mean, talking about the Duku challenge, it's, it's, it's a talent that I have, which God has blessed me with. So through my creativity, I am using it to help other cancer patients, their families, and contributing positively 
to to the world. I, I, I like to look at it that way. On my end, I guess I have come to meet people in my life that I never, ever thought I'd ever meet. Here today, I've met you, Chulu. I strongly believe that you have come in my life today for a particular purpose and you are a blessing. And I have also tried to use my own resources in um, trying to give more awareness to other people. Like I mentioned before, of course, I had heard of breast cancer, but I had very little information about it. And through advocacy, because of the things that I have come to know, I'm able to impact other people. And I feel that is a blessing. I uh, would like to mention that when I was doing my chemotherapy last year, I happened to contract COVID, the Delta. I survived, I survived Delta. And when I survived Delta, I told God to say, you, you know, when I got that COVID, my immunity was at its lowest because of chemotherapy. Chemo. And a lot of people, loved ones, passed on that period. And after I survived, I asked God to say, I think you need to show me that which you saved me for. And in my life, I get to do things and offer help to people, even the people that I least thought I would ever offer help to. And that's the calling that I think God has given me, and I see that as a blessing. That is beautiful. So as we wind down, what what message do you want to send out to the listeners that, you know, around being, um, you know, preventative, doing preventative measures or, you know, the type of support they, they can give to either people that are going through their cancer journey or survivors. What is that message that you want to put out in the world? For me, it's, it's, uh, take care of your bodies as much as you can. We have talked about being, smart, living a healthy lifestyle. With this information, I mean, we just touched on the surface, you know, get to be obsessed. And maybe not obsessed, I mean, that's not the best word to use, but to be really concerned about your own body and being as healthy as you can. We only have this one body. So let's nurture it as best as we can. I mean, for me, there are times when I think about my breast cancer and think, could I have done something differently? Could I have perhaps been more active? You know, I am often or not consistently, you see. Could I have um, had, you know, have, could I have had a better diet? Um, could I, should I, would I, you know, send all those things don't help didn't help me in the sense that I was diagnosed with it. But now that one has this knowledge and knowledge is out there, and of course you have to get the correct knowledge, implement it. Felicity talked about knowledge, yes, but applied knowledge is key. That's what differentiates one from knowing and applying it. And also by taking these steps, 
of being concerned about your body and wanting to love it as much as you can so that it maintains its healthy status for as long as possible. It gives you and me the sense of empowerment rather than sense, a sense of hopelessness. Rather than throwing my hands up in the air to say, ah, cancer comes, it comes. No, 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 no. Don't even entertain that thought. It shouldn't even come. And what can I do to reduce its risk of coming? And I remember listening to somebody given an interview and he said after he was diagnosed with cancer and treated, I forget now what he, treatment he had or what cancer he had, he vowed that thereafter he would make his body as unfriendly to cancer as possible. So that cancer, even if it tries to even <laughs> rear its ugly head, we say, whoa, this body is so healthy, it's not going to happen. So, but he made a conscious decision to do things that would make his body so well, as much as he could, so that cancer had, had no, <laughs> uh, had very little chance of, of inhabiting his body. So let's be responsible and take responsibility for our own health. That I think is for me a, a, a key a key message and encouragement to everybody. Let's take responsibility ourselves for our own health and be proactive rather than reactive. Mine would go towards the psychological effects that um, the, the cancer patients themselves go through. And also, you mentioned the caregivers the people that give us the support. I think um, it is very, very important for you to have a very positive mind because positivity is part of healing. If you have a negative mind, it makes it very difficult for you to come, you know, to, to go through the process, especially if you have to go through chemotherapy. Like I mentioned before, chemotherapy is very, very aggressive. It is a harsh treatment, and you have to be strong to go through it. After I went through chemotherapy the first time, I did a lot of crying. And by the time I was going to the second chemo, third chemo, I was like, oh, my God. Can't, I was trying to negotiate with the, one of the doctors I was talking to. I said, you people, can't I stop this? You, you know, so the, there's a lot of positivity that you need to surround yourself with because that positive attitude is very, very important. I did refer to the men uh, out there, especially for those of us who've gone through breast cancer. The men out there need to be positive and support their wives. You, you, you shouldn't be giving a woman an ultimatum to say, choose between me or, or, your, or your breasts. You know, that, just imagine what that does to a woman who's battling for her life, and then you tell her, um, it's either your breast or myself. I think that is not a fair, it's not a fair, it's not a fair thing to do. And then even just to the caregivers out there, um, when somebody has got cancer, they need that support. Make sure that uh, even if they, it's difficult for them to eat, at least just make them comfortable they should eat because they need those nutrients in order for the medicine to work well. So they, to put it in one sentence, positivity is part of healing. 
All right, ladies, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a very informational um, conversation. I have learned a lot. Um, but how do we support you? Obviously, guys, you're listening. The next thing you're going to do is you're going to find your duke and you're going to wear it, ne? and you're going to post on socials and you put hashtag Dukutoba and tag us. But what else? Um, where do people find you? If people want to support you how do they do it how do they reach out to you let us know absolutely thank you very much and i'm looking forward to seeing your listeners take part in the the duku challenge your viewers and i'm looking out for your duku your duku post chulu we are located in osaka uh, in, in an area called Prospect Hill. But I think what is easiest is if I share a contact number and, and an email. I think that would probably make more sense. So do I start with the area code or I just uh, start with the 097? Uh, either one is fine. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So if you're listening and you're out, listening and you're not in Zambia, our country code is plus two six. Plus two six. And then the number you can contact us on is 0977 I'll repeat, plus two six. Then it's 0977 803 337. Is that on and WhatsApp? E- it's on WhatsApp as well, yes, exactly. And our email is info at ZCS dot co dot zm and you can also find us very active on facebook under zambian cancer society right all right so you guys you've heard like we're expecting pictures beautiful dogs you know <laughs> understand the assignment please <laughs> so get out your dogs take a picture hashtag dukutober and tag can tag me, Africana woman, so I'll find you and so I can retag you. And then also make sure that you tag Zambian Cancer Society as well. So thank you so, so much for your time. I really do appreciate you um, taking this time out in the day to come and have a conversation with, with me about this very important topic. And I am wishing you all the best with this campaign. I'm sure a lot more people are going to um, catch on to this particular um, awareness campaign and I'm just very, very thankful for you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having having us. uh, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. And one more thing, if I can add the Duku challenge is running from the 1st of October to the 31st of October. So we still have like two weeks to go. And And it's not for for women only. Yes. For the men as well. We want to see what we are calling the Duku dudes. So they put on the Duku, take a picture, and of course, hashtag um, the Duku challenge, Duku Toba, Zambian Cancer Society, and African Woman. Lovely. All right, guys, you've been also men are involved. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. And Chulu, one more thing. And this really is the last thing. Sometimes people ask, how do you spell it? Duku is spelled D for uh, David, U-K-U, D-U-K-U. 
Duku. So then if you are hashtagging Duku challenge, so it's Duku and challenge as one word. And if you're hashtagging Duku Toba, it's D-U-K-U and then Toba, T-O-B-E-R, D-U-K-U-T-O-B-E-R, Duku Toba. It is at this stage that I say, don't embarrass me. (laughs) I'm just joking, but I am inviting you you, my darling, to participate in the Dukutoba challenge. As you heard, all you have to do is wear your duku, take a picture, post it on your socials, and tag hashtag duku challenge or hashtag Dukutoba. Both men and women can participate. Duku dudes, please show up and show out. Guys, we are no Africana women. You guys always understand the assignment. So please, let us show them. eh? (laughs) Another opportunity for you to participate in the Dukutober challenge is to join our book review. So we have the AWV book club and we are going to have a book review where all of the attendees are going to wear their dukus. So this month we've been reading The Sex Lives of African Women and it's been a fascinating read. So we'll be talking about that book and also be wearing our dukus as a way to stand in solidarity with the champions, with the survivors, with the caretakers. We stand with you and we support you in any way that we can. So join our book club review, which will be on the 31st of October, and we will be wearing our dukus. Most importantly, please go and get checked. This month, we are talking about breast cancer. But really, you should go and have regular checkups, be it for cervical cancer screening. Guys, check your prostate. There's so many cancers. So if you feel that there is a lump somewhere, if you feel that something is not right in your body, you know your body best. Go and check. Oh, by the way, an interesting fact that I found out, most um, lumps in the breasts are actually found by men. So guys, help your ladies out, huh? Feel, feel, feel. (laughs) Now, one of our previous guests mentioned how she goes for annual checkups with her girlfriends. That's such a brilliant idea. Get together, call your girlfriends up today and go and get screened. Now, help me say thank you to Udi and Felicity for breaking down the misinformation about cancer. You can find them on Facebook at Dukutoba or Zambian Cancer Society. Let us spread this information even further. So all you have to do, take a screenshot of this episode, share it on your socials and tag both Dukutoba and Africana Woman, and I'll be able to... Uh, reshare your post, okay? Remember, you are worthy of the life you dream of. You can create something that has never been seen before. So dream big, just start, evolve with Africana Woman. To join the movement, visit AfricanaWoman.com. 
This has been a production of Africana Woman Media, the number one podcast production house.